Welcome, welcome. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. But if you have a Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 26. Very, very great story, famous story. So this morning, we are beginning... Uh, uh, it, what I hope to be this new series, and really a series within a series. We're going to spend these next few weeks, God willing, going through and reading and celebrating and learning about the story of the birth of Christ. So that's, that's where we're at in the season. Uh, this is Christmas. This is what our hearts and our minds should be considering. Um, but it will be the beginning of uh, what we hope will be a long and extended series through the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke is a beautiful book, an amazing book. Um, it's actually uh, not only, uh, it's not only the longest of the four Gospels, it's actually the longest book in the New Testament. And so it'll take us a pretty good while to work our way through the Gospel of Luke. We're anticipating that we'll take it in chunks, that we'll take it in chunks and, and spend about two years covering uh, the Gospel of Luke with, with different shorter series sort of uh, interspersed as we work our way through that. So this morning, we are in the second week, the second Sunday of Advent. And this season of Advent, maybe some of you know, the season of Advent is a season of, of waiting, a season of longing, a season of preparation for the coming King. We are, ready, we are readying ourselves, we are readying our church, our, our homes, our lives in expectation that in celebration of both Jesus' coming on earth 2,000 years ago, but also a, a longing and a hoping and a believing in this expectation that he will return again for his people. So that's what we're doing. That's what we find ourselves this morning. Even in the text, we find ourselves waiting for the king. Let me read for us from Luke chapter 1. Scripture says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man, essentially engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled. She tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be from this angel. And the angel uh, could sense that, and he said to her, Don't be afraid. Mary, you have, you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you will call his name Jesus. And he will be great, Mary. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. Of his kingdom, he says, there will be no end. And Mary says to the angel, how can this be? How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel responded to her. He answered her and says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power, this is a beautiful language here, church. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, even in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And this is good news, church. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible with God. With God, And so Mary's response is very simply, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed. God, speak to us this morning. 
God, I pray that you would cultivate in our hearts uh, a longing for the king. God, we know, God, for myself, for, for probably many, many, many of us in this room, uh, December is hectic and busy and expensive. And for many of us, stressful and anxiety-producing, whether it's with family or travel or whatever. So, God, we just pray that you would fix our hearts on the coming king. God, I pray that, that we would remember that we would look both back at your arrival here in Bethlehem and look ahead for your return for your people. God, be with us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story is, of course, uh, one of the most famous stories uh, of Scripture, and really not only of Scripture, but one of the most famous stories in all the world. One, one writer put it this way, without a doubt, we could spend our entire lives searching the literature of the world for a story just as beautiful as this, but we'd never find it. This is the story of the coming king. This is the story of the long-awaited Messiah finally coming into this broken world, the one who can make everything right again. This is the story of his birth. This is true, I think, for many reasons. I think for good reason. We, we see that this is a story that shows the God of the universe initiating a relationship with undeserving and unexpecting people. And again, hear those words, that this is a story of God initiating a relationship with people who didn't deserve it, who weren't expecting it, who had no idea, but God entered into history, and he begins this relationship. He sent the angel Gabriel. This is a story, of course, that, uh, of God making good on his promises, as he is faithful to do. It's a story of, of God saying, just what I said from the beginning, from the beginning of Genesis, I said that a Messiah would come, one to rule this house forever, one whose kingdom would see no end. This is the story of his arrival. This is also a story, so that's sort of on the big level. This is also a story on the micro level of, of this one woman, this one young, unwed teenager growing in her trust in God and moving from, you may have caught this here as we read that passage, we see this transformation happening in Mary. She's really moving from the question, how can it be? Right? How, how is this going to happen? She moves from there to what? Let it be. Let it be. And so this is the story that we see this morning. This is a miraculous story set in the context of a larger miraculous story. The gospel story in the book of Luke, we didn't start at verse 1. We started um, towards the end. We started in verse 26. The gospel story in Luke doesn't begin with Jesus. It doesn't even begin with Mary or with Joseph. It begins with this elderly priest, Zechariah, and his barren wife, Elizabeth. And one day, Zechariah, he's a priest, he's in the temple, and an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah in the temple and speaks to him. He says, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard, your prayers have been answered, and now your wife, Elizabeth, shall bear a son, and you'll call his name John. And Zechariah, sort of unlike Mary, he begins to argue. He says, what, how, how, how can I know this? How can you prove it to me? I'm an old man, my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel gets upset, and he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent now. Right? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's essentially what Gabriel is, Gabriel is saying at this point. You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, 
which will be fulfilled in their time. And then, of course, soon enough, Elizabeth gets pregnant. And in some ways, when I read that story, that's, that's the way that you would expect the story of Jesus to begin, right? You would expect it to begin with the priest. You would expect it to begin in the temple, in Jerusalem, maybe with this miraculous conception. But that's John's story. That's not Jesus' story. It's John's story. Instead, in verse 26 in Luke chapter 1, we see this same angel, Gabriel, going to the sticks. He goes to the country. He goes to this little, out-of-the-way, nothing town called Nazareth. One commentator said, literally, Nazareth was a non-place. It was not even mentioned not one time in the Old Testament, not mentioned in any of the other ancient Jewish writings. Nazareth, Nazareth, he said, is a shoddy, corrupt, halfway stop between two port cities, overrun by Gentiles and overrun by Roman soldiers. You may remember the story in John Chapter 1, where, where Philip, who was one of the earliest disciples, he goes and finds uh, Nathaniel, and he tells Nathaniel, we, we have found the Messiah, we have found the Christ, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he say? What's his response to that? <laughs> what? Not, can anything good come from that? That seems like a joke, right? There's no way that the king, the Messiah, would be born in this out-of-the-way backwoods town. And so, not only does God go to this non-place, he goes to a nobody. He goes to a nobody. Mary is so ordinary, right? Really, she's, she's less than ordinary in this context. Mary is young. Mary is poor. We know that she's poor because later when, when she and Joseph go to the temple to make their offering, they give, they give two uh, turtle doves, which is essentially the, the, the lowest offering that you could possibly give at your socioeconomic level. She's Jewish. And in her world, she has the wrong gender, she has the wrong ethnicity, she has the wrong socioeconomic class, she has the wrong religion. She, she is a poor Jewish woman in a male-dominated Roman colony. And Gabriel goes to her. Gabriel goes to her and says, you have found favor, Mary. Uh, one ancient source uh, says that Mary was 14 years old, another one 12 years old. Some other serious scholars um, suspect that she may have even been younger, closer to 11 years old. This is a young woman. This is a young girl. One writer says, as with the poor, as with all other poor peasant girls, she was illiterate and her life would not be extraordinary. She would marry young and humbly. She would give birth to numerous poor children, some of whom wouldn't survive. She would never tra travel further than a few miles from her home. And yet, in one day still, she would die like thousands of other poor peasants before her. She was a nobody in nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Martin Luther said that it would, you would expect that Gabriel might have gone to Jerusalem and picked out maybe Caiaphas's daughter who was fair and rich and clad in gold, but instead God preferred this lowly maid from a mean town. The coming of King Jesus, the king of the universe, was announced to a poor young girl in a poor, out-of-the-way town with no fanfare at all. You guys may remember a few years ago... Uh, in July of, of 2013, uh, Kate Middleton, the wife of, of Prince William, gave birth to their first child, Prince George. 
Uh, some of you probably watched all of this happening on TV. It was an absolute media frenzy. Uh, there, were, there were literally photographers and journalists um, camped out for over a month anticipating the birth of this little baby, waiting at the hospital. Um, people would be perched on, on ladders and scaffolding, just trying to get a shot for weeks and weeks. They would, they would just be waiting for either the coming or the going. Many, many people from the community brought gifts for this little baby. The king's troop, the royal horse artillery, uh, wearing full-dress uniform, rode past Buckingham Palace, where they staged a 41-gun royal salute. 71 horses pulled six First World War era 13-pounder field guns into position for a royal salute. A full peal of bells rang in Westminster Abbey for three hours celebrating Prince George's arrival. Kings and dignitaries and celebrities from all over the world would send notes of congratulations and support. 5%, hear this, 5% of the global news that day was about the royal baby. 25,000 tweets per minute. Hashtag royal baby. And that's what we'd expect for a king, right? For a future king. That's exactly what we would expect. We would expect pomp and circumstances. We would expect celebration. We would expect ceremony. We would expect fuss. And certainly for the king of kings. Certainly for the King Jesus, certainly King Jesus would get more than Prince George, right? But that's not what happened. That's not what happened with Jesus. His announcement was made to a nobody from nowhere. And of course, that was God's plan all along. That was God's plan all along. This is essentially the heart of Scripture. That God who needs nothing gives himself fully to those who need everything. This is good news for us, church. This is good news for all of us who understand our own weakness and vulnerability. Our own, our own desperate need for, uh, for love, for acceptance, for inclusion, for forgiveness. God who needs nothing gives himself fully to those who need everything. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is lowly and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring about the things that are, so that no human could boast. You can't be a prideful Christian. At, at, at its very root, when you come to, to consider the person of Jesus, you have to come acknowledging your need. You, you have to come to a place to realize, you know, as I, we, we baptize, I, I know many of you guys were here last week, we baptized um, five uh, kids. It was beautiful, beautiful service. Um, it was awesome. Um, I've heard some of them, they're even excited to take communion today, so it's a beautiful thing. Well, I got to meet with many of them one-on-one uh, -on -one with their families uh, to sort of walk them through what baptism meant and what, you know. And parents a lot of times will come to me, they'll come to Marcus, they'll come to some of us and say, how do we, how do we know when it's time to baptize our children? Which is a great question, and unfortunately I don't have, an, I don't have a perfect answer for that. Um, 
But, but one of the things I tell them and one of the things I look for myself is I want them, I, I want, I want them to acknowledge their sin. Not just like I got caught, but something is broken. They come, they come to a place where they know they need forgiveness. They know they need saving. And then they come to a place realizing they can't save themselves. So it's not that they just should try harder. They should just be better kids or whatever. But they come to a place essentially of humility and they say, I need something beyond me. That's a good sign. That's a good sign. This, this kind of um, spiritual poverty. When we come to the cross, we come foolish. We come not powerful. We come not of noble birth. We come lowly and despised so that no human being can boast. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. You see the transition here? He says, okay, here's the way you once were. You were all these things. You came broken to the foot of the cross. But now, now, you're in Jesus you're included in the kingdom of God who, who became to us wisdom from God. He became to us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption so that as it, as, it, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. We have, we have good reason to boast, church, but not in ourselves. We have great reason to boast in the King Jesus who came to humble people requiring humility who came to us knowing we needed forgiveness, and he gave it to us. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on this passage, he says, we must accept the essential spiritual fact of the incarnation. That means when God became flesh in the, purpose, in the person of Christ, we must accept this essential fact of the gospel that the Lord comes to needy people. Those who realize that without him, they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness, their spiritual lack, the incarnation, salvation, resurrection, Christmas. It's not for the proud and self-sufficient. It's for the humble and the vulnerable. So how does Mary respond to this news from this angel? How does Mary respond to this uh, miraculous moment? Well, we see in these few verses, as I said, a kind of transformation for Mary. She begins with saying, how can this be? Uh, and she ends up saying, let it be, Lord let it be. The story begins this way in verse 28. He came to her. He says, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at the saying. She tried to discern. She's trying to make sense of what's going on. Right? She's coming, she's coming with questions. She's, she's not checking her mind at the door. She's thinking about this. She's trying to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, you don't have to be afraid. You found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. And then, and then he goes on. He begins to talk about who this, who this baby will be. He will be great, Mary. He will be the son of God, Mary, the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David. Forever and ever he will reign. To his kingdom there will be no end. And she says, but I'm a virgin, I've never been with the man. How, how, how could I have this baby? And then with very little explanation from Gabriel, the next thing out of Mary's mouth is, I am the servant of the Lord. I'm the, I've, I've heard enough. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. So how does she get there? How does she get from how can it be to let it be? Now, I don't want you to miss this important 
um, thing that's happening sort of behind the scenes in Mary's question, how can it be? Of course, she's sort of thinking through uh, the, the logistics of how, how can it be that I would have a baby if I've never been with a man? Of course, that's happening, but there's more. There's more than that here. You see that God is demanding everything from this young woman. God is demanding absolutely everything from this woman. He's demanding full submission because for Mary, when the angel appears to her, she is nearly sure that her life will be ruined. All right? When the angel comes to her, bringing the word of the Lord for Mary, she is sure that this is it for her. She's going to lose her fiancé, right, the man she loves. Her parents will disown her. She could, be, uh, she could be facing the death penalty for sex outside of marriage as a young betrothed woman, not yet married. She was a nobody before, right? But now she's a disgrace. Now she's an outcast. This would be the beginning of a disgraced life at best, and at worst, a very short life. So when the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God, it probably doesn't feel like favor, does it? It feels like a curse. So hear this, church, hear this, Redeemer. What was in reality, what was in reality, God's overwhelming, God's undeserved, God's unrequited, is life-changing, in fact, history-changing good news for her, felt at the time like a curse. It felt like this is the last thing that I need right now, right? So what might that be in your life? Are you, are you listening? Are you ready to receive from the Lord? Or are, are you only ready to receive the things that sort of line up with your expectations, that, that sort of push you along the direction that you want to go, that, that avoids any kind of pain or inconvenience or struggle? Or is that the litmus test that you're using for knowing that this is what God wants? Now, you know, I, I've heard uh, many people say when they're in a sort of uh, crisis or in a decision point in their life, they'll say something to the effect of, you know, I'm pretty sure this is the way that God wants me to go because I have peace about it. Now, don't misunderstand me. There's some truth to that. There's some validity to that. But I want you to consider Christ. Consider Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane being, being betrayed by his friends, literally being so overwhelmed with anxiety that he's, he's sweating blood. He's begging his father, God, if there's any other way, let, let it be that way, not this way. Now, does that look like a man at peace? No. It looks like a man, a, a man completely following his father's will. In fact, he submits to the father's will. He says, not my will, but your will be done. But it wasn't like, you know, th I have a real peace about this. this is, I'm pretty sure this is the way that God wants me to go. He was headed to the cross. He was headed for humiliating torture, pain we can't even imagine. And yet, Mary trusts. That's her response, right? She questions, right? She, she asks questions. She, qu she wonders about this. She's trying to discern it. She asks the angel, how, how can this be? But, but when he gives her this answer, she says, yes. Yes, 
One writer says that this is, a, this is an example of, of semi-comprehending surrender. You hear that? It's semi-comprehending surrender. She does, it's not like she asked the questions and, okay, they're fully resolved. I totally get how this is all going to plan out. She, she hears from the angel. She gets the word of the Lord, and she goes, I don't see everything. I don't see how this is going to work out. I can't anticipate what the future will hold for me. But I'm going to submit to this word. I'm going to submit to the Lord. I'm going to give myself fully to the king. When, when the word there in verse 38 is servant, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That word servant uh, is literally a slave girl. You, you, I, I, am, I am submitting to the Lord. Whatever he says about my life, that will be. If he says this, then that's the way it is. If he says that, that's the way it is. The Lord, she says to him, I, I, I have nothing, but you can have it all. I have nothing, Lord, but you can have it all. I am, here is my current state in life. This is all I've got. I'm bringing nothing to the table here, but, but everything I have, God, it's yours. And she's brought to this place of, of humble submission, of, of humble surrender, of, of, of serious vulnerability because she received this good news. She heard the good news. You will conceive in your womb, you'll bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be great. The son of the most high, the throne of David, reign over the house of Jacob forever. You're going to have a baby, Mary. You're going to have a baby. You're, you're going to call him Jesus. The, the, the name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. So your circumstances aren't going to save you, Mary. Your, your husband's not going to save you. All the, all the things that you're sort of dreaming about in this life, they're not going to save you. This baby is going to save you. His name is the Lord saves. He's the king. He's the one everybody's been waiting for. For thousands of years, this is what we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the son of the Most High. He's going to sit on David's throne forever. He is what you, Mary, have been waiting for. And all of this is possible because the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's going to overshadow you. That's what's going to happen. That's how this is going to happen because nothing is impossible with God. You, Mary, you, Mary, will nurse the King of Kings. Mary, you're going to sing to sleep the, the creator who spoke the worlds into existence. You're going to play in the dirt with the maker of heaven and earth. He will be your baby, but he will also be your God. She encountered the truth of Christ. She encountered the truth of who, who Jesus was, his great grace in her life, and she says, yes. I don't know, I don't, I don't see it all, I don't fully understand it all, but I see enough, I see enough of Jesus, I, see, I, I sense enough of his grace in my life that I can come to this place of semi-comprehending surrender and say, let it be to me according to your word. Jesus is a king who understands humility. Jesus is a king who understands vulnerability. He understands need. He understands our weakness. This is a king born to a backwoods teenager. A nobody from nowhere, right? 
born into poverty and obscurity, this long-awaited Messiah, the King of kings, the creator of the universe, left heavenly privilege for humiliating pain. And he did it for us. He came to us. Gabriel's message, the message of Christmas, the good news of the gospel is this, as one writer put it, the most high has become the most low. That's the good news for all of us, church. The most high has become the most low. He came to us, the weak and the vulnerable, to the scared, to the anxious, to the forgotten. Have you come to a place in your life where you have encountered God, you've considered him through his word, and you felt acknowledged by him? Because that's what's happening to Mary. He, he pursued her, he came to her, but as she encountered him, as she received his word, she felt acknowledged, she felt seen, which is exactly what we all need and what we all want, right? And Jesus acknowledges us, Jesus considers us, he sees us to the point of coming to us and dying on the cross, from heaven to the cradle to the cross. He came for us. Consider it this morning, church. Will, will you argue like Zachariah? You got all these reasons not to believe, right? Or will you submit to the good news like Mary? Will you trust in Jesus this morning? Will you consider him this Advent season? Let me pray for us.